Welcome to Friendline. I'm Barbara Gosowski, here as usual with my favorite co-host, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you doing today? Good, how are you? Oh, not too bad, not too bad. On today's show, Courtney and I are going to discuss some of the highlights from the 24th annual Real Asian Film Festival. And since it's 2020, all the festivals uh, have gone digital. It's all online streaming, nice and easy. And this is the situation also with Real Asian. And it, for those of you who don't know, Real Asian is sort of um, an Asian diaspora, Pan-Asian. It's like every type of Asian country is under the umbrella of the Real Asian Film Festival. So there's there's an incredible variety of films and uh, there's an incredible mix of types of film, you know, and uh, um, wonderful mix of first time filmmakers, younger filmmakers in the short section and, um, you know, in their special programming. Also some filmmakers that are, you know, more veteran type filmmakers. Um, so we're gonna start with a film called Mogul Mowgli. And it's made by Basim Tariq. It, uh, Riz Ahmed, the actor, it's, he stars in it. And he also had a lot to do with bringing this to the screen, you know, on the production, like on the producer end of things. Um, and so this is a film uh, in which Riz Ahmed plays a British Pakistani rapper. So, you know, he's a young man sort of like caught between two identities. His, you know, he's a first generation British born Pakistani man, but he's, you know, and he lives, his family is there with him. So, you know, he's, he's in between, you know, the old country, his family, you know, that kind of tie as well. And being a rapper, he's, um, he's actually on the verge of, you know, hitting the big time when uh, something happens to his health something mysterious and uh, it's kind of stops it. It makes him have to stop. And uh, so what I liked about the film was it was it's highly stylized in a really raw in your face kind of way, which is really great because uh, in terms of the expression of this this rap star, it, it really suits, you know, when he's being creative, when he's rapping, when he's on stage, it's like the film hits this other world, like it's his inner world in a way. Um, and so you get these vivid colors and you get this like frenetic edit editing, right? And then takes on a different kind of pace when it deals, when we're dealing with his health and his family and the, the influence of his family on him trying to cope with what's actually going on with his health sort of balances that out so it's uh, there's a lot of things going on in the film and i and i it really moves i i was really quite taken with it yeah i really like this one as well um it's it's a film that's tough to put in words because there's so much going on in it uh you've got the whole individual trying to come to terms with his past after somewhat trying to deny it you know there's growing up with North American ways he's fighting more to be live a life that I guess his family would be deemed um, being more accepted by the the UK view of 
of how the world is opposed to his cultural heritage. And then you also have on top of that, the medical health issue and how do you live with, you know, your career about to take off, but your body almost reverting and, you know, having to rely on others when you've been very much independent and you could argue selfish for a good portion of your life. And then you also have the, the side effects of his declining health with the hallucinations, which takes him back to childhood, which starts giving him visions of like what his parents must have experienced. So there's like many layers going on in this film, but yet it's pulled together so well. And as you were mentioning the, the vividness of how it's shot, like there's a a wonderful scene at the, the beginning where he's in a room by himself, just, it looks like he's just practicing his rap and the film smoothly transitions so that he turns around and he's now on stage in front of everyone. And, you know, simple things like that are just done so flawlessly. And I was really impressed by Ahmed's performance. And I don't know if you saw Sound of Metal yet. Uh, Not yet. No, it it played. But I know I know his uh, the power of his acting. Yes. Yes. So he he's phenomenal in that film. And then to see this one and him tackling another film about being an artist where you're facing a certain type of disability and he still makes both of those performances unique. I was, you know, this character, I didn't think about that other film while watching this one. I thought he just did a really wonderful job. And I think both films, I think Sound of Metal is also coming out at some point this year. So yeah. he's, he's had a great 2020 just in the, based off of those two performances. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, and what a wonderful expression, like you said, of the creative force, you know, when, when you were talking about that scene, it's just like, uh, it is just emblematic of the, the, the film. It transitions from this and that. And I, I would say that, you know, some of these hallucinations, it's like, it's like the film has ghosts. I mean, mm-hmm. it, there's this one element where something's quite obviously, you know, ghost-like, but there's also these other kinds of layers, like you said, layers, but it's all like ghosts, ghost-like mm-hmm. or memory-like or, you know, and it's it's hard to pin down these hallucinations and because some of them are, are quite specific and so, you know, yeah. and some of them not, but they all fit into this, this world this greater view of his inner and outer world, you know, the character and that in which, you know, the family is participating as part of that world and their concerns and their considerations, you know, it's not, it's not stereotypes that we're dealing with, you know, of, you know, immigrant parents, you know, having certain concerns and stuff. It's like, it takes on a whole other level, the way that it's shot and put together. Yeah, it's a it's a great film. Yeah, so Mogul Mowgli is part of Real Asian, and uh, we recommend it. Um, so Courtney, what did you see? That was one that we saw together. What did you see? I saw a documentary called AKA Don Bonus, and it was directed by Spencer Nakasako. And this film was actually made back in 1995, uh, but it's screening again at the festival because I think a lot of people probably missed it when it came out. And it also feels very relevant um, now in this 
age where we use social media and things like YouTube to kind of document our lives and live stream and content. And in this film, you have um, Sukli Ni, who goes by also known as Don Bonus, and he's a student in his last year of high school. So he's about 18 and he's essentially given a camcorder to document his final year at school, but also talk about his family's experience escape, um, escaping from Cambodia. Um, and it's, it's very interesting because you see the problems he has at school, you know, at times he's you know, kind of slacks off as a lot of high school kids do, but there's also a lot of other issues that to play into that, you know, you, you him coming, dealing with coming to America and having to adapt to that type of culture. And also he has a younger brother that gets into trouble um, with with a gun and gets sent down to juvie and there's that whole kind of court proceeding that's going on and how that's impacting the family uh, his older brother is I guess trying to take on more of like a father-like role but not living up to that type of standard and it's it's quite interesting it's very much a it's a very 90s film in terms of just the tone the obviously the fashion the attitudes about the world but within all of that, there's a, like a deep sadness that's also running through it because, you know, this is a real family. And also with him recording things, it's back in a time and in a culture where you don't share your personal business. You know, so there's certain times where he has to fight to keep the camera rolling because culturally you keep your family issues and discussions private. You don't air them for the world to see. So it's a it's a very well done film. And I, I'm glad it was included in this program because I wouldn't have um, known about it otherwise. So I, I think it's a really good pick that a lot of people will, especially a lot of young people, can take something from. Okay, so that was a documentary you were talking about, which is interesting because it makes me think of a film that I saw called The Taste of Fa. And it's a film that's set in Poland. So, and the filmmaker's name is Mariko Bobrik. Uh, the film focuses on uh, a widower whose name is Long. He's a well-renowned cook in a Vietnamese restaurant, very highly regarded for his pho. Everybody, like the, the restaurant, you know, is quite packed and everybody's coming for his pho, the most popular dish on the menu. Uh, he and his younger daughter, you know, they live in Poland. It's This is takes place in Warsaw. And so he's, he's a man who immigrated and then, you know, uh, had, had a life, has a life still. Uh, his, uh, like I said, he's a widower. So um, it, in terms of, the film is very much about, you know, a longing for home. So you could look at it like the taste of thought is really equaling the taste of home. Like what is it that, you know, for him, you know, the taste of the soup is just, reminiscent of, of home and he thinks about home a lot which is Vietnam Vietnam uh, but his daughter grew up in Poland so you know she's well versed in in her father's like her parental home but she's also versed in this home right um 
which is her other parents' home, right? So she's in between these two cultures. So they both have different visions of home. And uh, the reason that this has this documentary feel was because it's very much like um, a film like shot in a kind of a, the tradition of realism, like it's slow. It's, it's got this observational feel about it. Um, and it's quiet and subtle, but it's, it's like never a dull moment. You know, it's, it just has this like beautiful, these beautiful rhythms that go along. It's like daily life. Right. Um, but within it, there's some like interesting things that happen narratively, but also with the feel of the film. So narratively, here is this man who, you know, is cooking his home dish and he, he's well known for it. It's a Vietnamese dish. And, the restaurant he works in gets sold. The Polish guy who, who's, you know, the new owner has no clue and decides, well, they should ask, uh, add sushi to the menu and he should cook the sushi. And so being Vietnamese, he doesn't know how to cook sushi. So he's like, okay, well, I'll send you to school. Go take a class. And so there's that, that cultural, you know, he's in this country and it's not his country. And, the guy in charge of his restaurant does he you know so he's he's faced with these kind of things that you know i think is, is a very familiar Im immigrant experience you know people he's in under the control of someone who just doesn't get it uh he's completely clueless and uh showing no no sympathy <laughs> like no attempt to even understand and, but he also, you know, he's he's a doting father. And Mia, absolutely loving, wonderful young daughter. Um, she is also observing the world. And that's where the film starts getting really interesting. She starts observing his interactions with people, with a certain neighbor. Um, she thinks that, you know, dad might be looking around at other women, you know. And so it, it takes on this dreamlike element. It's like at that point, it's almost like the imagination of the child and the, the imagination of the father who's, whose imagination is completely taken by longing and wondering if he should go back home, you know, and her imagination of, you know, being worried and observing that something's not quite right with dad and you know it's just for something for a film that's that subtle and straightforward there's a lot going on mm -hmm. and would um, you say it's more more drama or comedy or a bit of both more drama more drama yeah because you know i mean he has to to deal with like i said not just this clueless boss but there's you know he's in poland and so mm -hmm. uh it's it's not a very progressive society. It's not a, you know, in the big cities, yes. But even then, there's so very little. Uh, it has no history of interaction with outside people. And that's not, I'm not making excuses for the people. I'm just saying, you know, obviously vicious there's like vicious racism there. Yeah. Um, and and that's just how it is. But, uh, but the film is uh, a really great insight you know, into someone's experience. But also, you know, for all the films that I've seen about, you know, the immigrant's experience anywhere, and there's, there is that longing for, you know, going back home. And there's that push-pull of, well, I, I wanted a new life. And there's that push-pull of, but I miss home. You know, I miss being around people that are like me. Mm -hmm. You know? 
Um, and so I, I really thought that the film handled that really well and does not fall into cliche or, you know, it's, you just got a, like a completely different perspective on it. Um, and it's, a, it's just a, a really interesting statement about, about life. Oh, that sounds like a very interesting film. Yeah, yeah, The Taste of Fa. It's a really good film. And I know, I think you saw A Rifle in a Bag as well. Yes, we both saw that one. Yeah, and that's one's, um, you know, going back into the the documentary world, but in terms of being outsiders in a different land, I think, you know, when you were talking yeah, about... Yeah, but in their own one. land. But yeah, this Sorry, one... Sorry, I interrupted you. No, 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 you're right. This one, they're, they're essentially outsiders in their own land and kind of stuck between two two worlds <laughs> that are trying to fight for power and yeah it's about this couple that is a part of a rebel group known as the naxalites and uh, they are fighting i guess within the indian state for rights that they believe or you know for tribal rights that have i guess been going on for 50 years or so and to combat the rise of this rebel group and the the way that they've been expanding across india the government came up with this surrender policy which allowed people to defect from the naxalites and be kind of given immunity to to live and basically become proper citizens but that also comes with its own problems as we see with this particular couple who gave up their you know left that organization in hopes of building a life together and encounter a lot of hardship yeah, but, but it's also, it's not just an organization, but it's also, it's it's like tribal people, right? Mm-hmm. So they, they left their families, they, you know, they left people they knew, people like a world that they grew up in. And that's that's the deal with the Indian government is you have to like renounce all, all of those people and you have to surrender, so to speak. And then the government, you know, supposedly gives you rights. But uh, you, as you and I both saw they're like still like a third class of you know like a much lower class of people um under the eyes of the government mm-hmm. you know they need to live in extreme poverty anyway you know i don't know what kind of life people have as a rebel group in india but it's, nothing gets better even though you have access to certain things um but as, as this couple teaches us it's, you don't have access to the best necessarily. <laughs> you, you're on the lower end of the pri- their priorities, but yeah. And uh, one of the interesting things I found was depending on like there's this issue about particular documentation that is needed, and the the wife has it, but the father or the husband doesn't. And for him to get it, he would have to go back to his state of origin. But in doing so, that would put his life in jeopardy because the Naxalites pretty much run things and they show how they talk about how there's spies everywhere. You know, there's people getting killed for for fleeing the tribe, if you will. But then at the same time, the government hasn't figured out how to integrate these people fully. So they've essentially given them certain level of rights they parade them out whenever they need a good media story 
to show like, oh, the police are great and look at all these people who have come over to our side, but they leave them hanging in a lot of cases. And you see that they essentially, it's, it's tough for them to even advance in society because of the restrictions and documentations needed. So you start to wonder, well, what's best for them? Because in many ways they're, they're in limbo. They can't go home because it's too dangerous. And staying there has its own set of problems because they can't advance and live a proper life that the government is telling them that they should live. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and one of the amazing things about the film is the way it's shot. Um, so the filmmakers, uh, Aria Roth, Christina Haynes, and Isabella Rinaldi, they're part of a group called the No Cut Film Collective. They went in there and they spent a lot of time with this couple um, and, and their children. So Somi is, is the woman. And, and so when we first see her, She's, you know, very idealistic and um, hopeful, right? And and they've already got their young son, the two of them, and she's expecting another child. And so, you know, we get caught up in her enthusiasm because she's like hoping it's a girl. And and the film is really great in in the way like it, it's it's very subtle. This film, you know, like I was saying about the previous one, it's very subtle. Um, but the fil- the filmmakers know when to set up and really focus on a moment. Not they don't set up the moment, but what they know which moments to really pause on and stop. And so there are lots of moments where her and her, Somi and her husband and and the children are you know are just hanging out or or um, sitting in front of a fire and talking and as much as they reveal like they're incredible when they're talking to the camera but as much as they reveal when they're talking to the camera there's something different that happens when they are talking to each other and the filmmakers and and the cinematographer just you know reflect their faces in conversation there's a lot more that they reveal on their faces you know when they're talking to each other um that gives us a different kind of sense of the reality, especially because, you know, we go from her ideals and her idealistic view of how life's going to be. And then reality starts to creep in and things start, our vision, our view starts to change. And so does hers. Yeah. And it's weird though, because I didn't feel like disheartened by the end of the film, even as complex as it was and I'm not <laughs> sure like I, I I'm very curious you know it'd be interesting to see what happens with this particular situation like if, if anything I'll say to this film's credit it made me want to research a bit more about that whole situation about the tribe they came from the policies because there's there's a lot to chew on here and it doesn't give you any kind of easy answers but just lets you as, as you said perfectly just kind of sit with these people yeah, I think that's that's a really important thing about documentary film. When when a film, I mean, if film that, that looks at, at a complicated situation in, in any situation, it, it it's almost wrong if it does provide an answer, right? Mm-hmm. It's like that's that's the mark of a good documentary when it can raise the questions and make us right who are completely divorced from this situation. It can make us now 
interested and want to find out and want to research, as you say, and um, and just want to know what's going on better and understand even more. I think that is that is an incredible accomplishment uh, by anyone. And the fact that a collective did this, I don't, you know, it to me, it's, it's remarkable when people, you know, direct together and they come up with something that just has this sort of singular vision. Um, it's, it's just like kindred spirits coming together. And, and it's like they really spent a lot of time and they, there's something happened with them on the people that they were filming, you know, something really gelled there. Um, and that's the, to me, the mark of a great documentary is when you can spend that time and when you can, you know, yeah. you can craft something like this. Yeah, I completely agree. It's a, it's a film I would recommend people check out. Yeah. So, I mean, that's just what four films that we, we saw. Um, oh, I, I know this is probably wrong to do, but there's a film I haven't gotten to yet. And I just, I want to like tell people about it because it just sounds so interesting. And I feel like I'm having read the description and being so excited myself that, um, that it would be a disservice not to tell people about it. It's a film called Dust and Ashes. It is a, you know, a narrative film. It's by a, a young Korean filmmaker named Park Yi Kwon. And everyone's talking about, you know, about how this is like really, uh, you know, a new voice from Korea, uh, someone to watch. Um, and it's a thriller. And uh, and yes, the name Bong Joon-ho was mentioned <laughs> when I... Yeah, so I read the description. I, you know, I went to look it up and the name Bong Joon-ho was mentioned. So that, you know, made me, uh, made me even more curious. Uh, so it's a thriller about a grieving person trying to collect insurance after the death of her mother. But um, there's a lot of things against working against her. And it apparently unfolds over three days. Ooh. And those days are quite tumultuous. So now I'm curious. Yeah, that sounds very I just, interesting. Yeah, I want I wanted to to put that one also on people's maps, even though I can't I can't tell you, but I hear it's great. Mm -hmm. And it sounds great to me. So I mean there's so much in, in real Asian. So I hope people, you know, go and check it out. And uh, I don't think it's very like it's it's the prices are very reasonable. Yeah. So I hope people check out uh, the festival. It's been going on for 24 years and it is considered like a major festival in North America for, especially for Asian cinema, right? So I guess that's it. Yes, that's a, a lot of films to check out. And as you said, it's a great festival. So you, you, you won't be disappointed with whatever you see. So that's it for Frameline for this week. Thanks everybody for listening.